Hey, it's 2023 and we're back. There's all kinds of new stuff going on and we're going to be covering it. We got, we got, we're kicking the year off with two really great guests in addition to our normal panel. Um, and uh, you're tuning in to connect this um, might be the, the first time we're on two new platforms. I'll go over that in a second, but first let's talk to Travis Carter. Welcome, Travis. You, you got a connection that's working for a second. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Am I the panel or are you and I the panel? So, <laughs> no, no, no. We have the four of us we, and then we have two guests. And our usual panel. That leaves me and you, or I don't understand how this works. So you you're the super block co-host right okay. now. All right. And I will not try to get you wound up today. Doug, you're up. And Travis looks like what happens if you compress a JPEG at 10%. <laughs> We got Kim McKinley from Utopia. Well, I, I am. We've already moved on, Travis. Sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about what Travis, what's going on with Travis in a second. But we got Kim McKinley, this, the chief marketing officer of Utopia Fiber. And we're going to bring her boss on later and see if we can get, fi- get her fired. Sweet. I'm looking forward to it. Starting off 2023 on a high note, guys. Love it. Let's do this. <laughs> And then we got Doug Dawson, uh, CCG Consulting, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Pots and Pans by CCG. Welcome back, Doug. Thank you, Chris. And I'm starting a new year off with a non-grateful dead shirt. I want everybody to notice. Might be the only time. Might be the only time. Yes. That's a non-grateful dead shirt, but it's still tie-dye, so it doesn't still represent... Look, look, I'm I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. Give me a break. <laughs> yes. But though that might be something new, uh, the topics today, uh, you know, we're, we're dipping into 2022 a little bit with some of these topics. Uh, it's old news. It's new news. It's uh, forever news. Uh, FCC maps. We're going to kick off the show with that in a couple minutes. Um, we're going to talk about AT&T and the BlackRock Open Access Network and what that means. Uh, we're going to talk about CES gadgets and gizmos and what uh, what's going on there. Um, we have a couple of special guests. Um, Juan, I'm not sure my heart can take the ranting. I've been doing a lot of shoveling. I'm guessing you have too. Uh, 15 inches of snow, and uh, I'm, I'm, I might tone down the rants a little this episode. We'll see what happens. Um, for people who are watching and don't know what I'm talking about, there's a comment in the chat, which we encourage you to look at. Otherwise, I'll just randomly say things that other people are <laughs> writing. Uh, but Travis, where are you coming from and what are you using to communicate with us? All right. We're sitting in St. Louis, Missouri, which, by the way, is a pretty neat town. I've never been here before. Uh, so we've got Did you go up the arch. That's my favorite part. I mean, it's a great town, but the arch well, I didn't go up it, but I looked at it. So go up it if you can. It's great. Oh. Technically, I think I can check it off my list, though, by just looking at it, I think. So I am I feel happy about that. So, no, we're uh, we're sitting in an abandoned shopping center parking lot here camping. Uh, we're, we're testing Starlink, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. So right now, we're doing the Verizon thing. And if nobody has been unclear in 61 episodes, I really dislike wireless internet. I'll just leave it at that. Yep. I have a question. That's really considered camping? <laughs> Well, it's my version of camping. You know, actually, I'm not really a camper. I'm more of a tourist. So, yes, we're uh, we're being a tourist here in St. Louis. So, which, by the way, did anyone know there was such a thing as St. Louis style pizza? Is it good? No. So, anyway. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like the whole the whole city name style pizza is like huge lately, and and I mostly ignore it. 
Yeah, I think it's something you have to grow up with because it basically has Velveeta cheese on it. So, uh, not, no, not, no, we're not yeah. talking about it anymore. We're going to move oh, yeah. on to Telecom Peekaboo because we have a we have a schedule to adhere to, and um, this is something that uh, from elsewhere on uh, um, a major river we got Kansas City, Missouri. Just because I'm on the I'm on the Mississippi. Travis is on the Mississippi. Um, here we got Kansas City and um, and this little. Uh, thing with antennas on the bottom of it. I think we got another image. Is that right, Rye? Yeah. Um, and uh, sort of an interesting little thing. Um, you know, this is where we got Google Fiber. You got Time Warner Cable. Well, no, you got Charter, I guess, now. Um, any idea what that thing is doing there? I really do not. I've not seen one of those before. Do you know, Travis? It looks like an Ericsson Wi-Fi access point. The, so it's just uh, Wi-Fi. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, but what, what I find most interesting is it seems to be on, unless I do the cable on the bottom. It is the cable on the bottom and you're now hiccuping. Bottom is, um, I was, that's my guess. Do you know what it is, Chris? Kim? I don't think we do know. Um, Juan yeah. says WebPass, which was the company that Google had mm. bought, which did fix wireless to the roofs of buildings. I don't know that that's anything related to that. And WebPass kind of got killed off, I think. Um, yeah, WebPass I don't think it was in Kansas City. And WebPass went roof to roof. They didn't. I never saw them do polls. I suspect this is a little thing for Google Fi. I suspect they threw some of these things up around town where they didn't have good Wi-Fi in order to um, supplement their service. Uh, Rye had said this was in a rougher part of town. Um, and um, so uh, I'm not sure. I guess. I mean, oh, we're all pretty sure. Hey. Oh, Travis. Yeah, this just... is, sorry. Not to worry. We're in, in Minneapolis. Oh, well. What did he say? <laughs> it doesn't matter because this we is... never are going to understand it. Yes. Today. <laughs> yes. Smoke right. signal. I'm going back to AT&T. Hold on. All right. <laughs> Travis is going back to AT&T. We're going to talk a little bit about the FCC maps. Um, the uh, deadline is coming up next week to submit challenges and... Boy, um, I don't know how to start this except for to say it seems like the challenge process, it may all have been a, a joke, a farce, uh, not something to be taken seriously. Um, we have been talking to a lot of different folks, and I asked you about this, Doug, and you responded with a different thing that I want to get to. But um, it, from what we can tell, the FCC is not actually entertaining the location challenges. Um, the, the fabric seems to be set and they are considering the availability challenges in order to allocate the bead money. But, um, when it comes down to it, all the location challenges that are being submitted right now, which is to say, to add homes to the map that are not currently showing up on the, mm -hmm. on the map. Apparently the FCC had a deadline prior to this that was much quieter, uh, in which, um, uh, they they basically have frozen the fabric, and they are not adding new things to the fabric for the bead challenge for the bead allocations, which is not what anyone understands, but seems to be what we hear from multiple sources. And we cannot get an official comment, or the people have asked haven't been able to get an official comment from the FCC. So this is like this big cloud that I'm just wrestling with right now, and wondering if I'm the crazy person. Doug, no, that's exactly what I keep hearing. Um, it almost looks to me like all of the challenges are a farce. I, they're they're mm -hmm. going to try to get a few of the coverage ones in. The fact is they've already said several times behind the scenes that most of this stuff is going to go on the floor. 
So as far as bead anyway, so, you know, the, the, the speed stuff will have a big difference, you know, later when the, the grants are coming out. But for now, I don't think they're doing anything with it. On the location challenges, they're taking a few of them, but it, who cares if it doesn't end up in the bead map? They can't yeah. really put it in the real map because they already opened up the portal for the March 1st submittal. So that's locked. The, so the, for the next quarter, the next biannual reporting is already open. So wherever so, that was, yeah, that's that's already a live portal. So we're in agreement then that everything that we've heard is that despite the fact that we were told that we had until like uh, next week to submit these challenges, the location challenges won't actually change the beat allocations. The FCC, from what I can tell, this is might be me walking out further on a limb, but the FCC basically has a choice um, when it comes to homes that it doesn't have on the map. And if it accepts a bunch of challenges that put new homes on the map, uh, they either have to say that they're assuming that these are unserved homes because ISPs had a chance to claim them previously and no ISP claimed them. And so therefore, logically, these homes are not served. Um, the other choice would be if they if they make that choice, then they... Um, then they're basically running the risk of putting money into some homes where there's a service where the ISP didn't correctly identify them. And I think they're more afraid of that than they are uh, actually having a map that is representative um, of, I mean, what I'm saying is that they're, they're more afraid of, of accidentally giving money to a, a home that has service uh, than they are just leaving out, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, millions of homes. Well, here's one of the stories I heard yesterday. The whole town of Shiprock, Arizona, or New Mexico is simply not on the map. And won't So New Mexico will not get any funds for that relative to the need to connect them. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to miss an entire city. <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's going to be weird... Just, go ahead, Kim. I was just going to say, this is the federal government and FCC for the win. Way to go. Kudos. <laughs> I mean, there's parts of this where I've been sympathetic because this is hard freaking work, right? More than 100 million addresses, um, you know, structures, all this stuff, but just not communicating what is actually happening. I mean, in fact, I would say lying, uh, you know, whether it's through omission or just outright lying about what we can change. To me, it looks like the FCC is pretending that we can fix this egregiously wrong map because they didn't want to admit that they were just going to move forward with a map that's horribly flawed without a chance to fix it. That's exactly what I think is going on. I think it's probably internal communications and internal struggles within the FCC right now, because there is a lot of pressure to get the money out. And then there's a lot of pressure to fix the maps. Which one is more important at the end of the day is people want to push the money out instead of sitting back for the next six months and fixing the maps, which is probably the right thing to do. No, but so this is where we get into this unforced error after unforced error. NTIA can start getting money out without the final data. And that's, that's mm -hmm. what just keeps upsetting me so much is that we don't need to know where every single unserved location is. We know that Texas is going to get more than two billion, possibly twice as much. But we know that like, you know, we know that some other states are going to get at least 100 million. NTIA can do initial allocations and get going on it while they give the FCC some time to un sick their map. They could. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But I believe I believe that was a rant, Travis. Yeah. It's teetering on there, so if you can. No, I just, yeah. I don't. I don't know that we have the time for for well, a another rant. quick little quick anecdote. A little tiny challenge. I know someone who put in a few less than two hundred challenges, location challenges. The FCC did process it because they got them in early. They only accepted seven. And one of the ones they didn't accept 
was one of the people on the broadband committee. And they go, I'm pretty sure that that's a real place because I lived there. <laughs> and they didn't accept no. it. So This yeah. is, I mean, there's things in which I've been willing to cut Chair Rosenworcel slack because it's very hard to manage a 2-2 commission when um, uh, between Congress and uh, the White House, uh, they did not get Gigi Sohn uh, through. Uh, we're talking more about Gigi after we have a, a guest here on. Um, but this is just flat out mismanagement. I mean, yes. to basically tell people to do location challenges, at which point people like me went out and worked with people and developed tools so they can do location challenges. And then to be just suggesting that those are going to be used in the beat allocations, although they're not. I mean, it's not just a matter of like a few of us that are peripherally paying attention, being confused. Senate offices are confused. I've talked yes. to people who are very close FCC watchers. And when I said, my impression is that if you submit a location challenge to day before the deadline that will not be considered for the beat allocations. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he was like, that is not my understanding. And I don't think you're right about that. And like that, but that appears to be what's happening. I had the same conversation with two different state broadband offices yesterday. And they think, they think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something yeah. wrong with all of us. That's for sure. If you're on the show with me. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. So, yeah. so Travis, you're mo I can see your mouth moving from time to time. While you have some wireless, do you want to talk? Oh no, I was I, I just think it's I just enjoy the fact that you're surprised. We, we, all, we all I mean we only spent forty five million on this, right? <laughs> so far. I mean if, if you if you would actually if they were serious, they would have spent a billion on exactly. Right? I mean, like I told you, five hundred million to remodel an office building in mini in Minnesota, and they can only do forty five million for the entire country. I mean, come on. How, how can you do anything with that kind of peanuts? I mean, seriously. I love that Travis's connection is coming in strong right now. <laughs> yeah. But I see Chris teetering. Doug, you're doing an amazing <laughs> job. Just no, I... but you know what? The ironic thing is, is I love when Chris is surprised. <laughs> what do you, hey, think, you know, what Travis do you think was going to happen. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> okay. The FCC has had webinars as recently as the beginning of this week, telling people to still get their challenges in. I mean, right, and I think they are putting out misinformation. So. I mean, our our line has been that <laughs> that states should be developing their own data because we cannot trust the federal government to get this right. And so, like if, in the case of Mississippi, for instance, I think um, uh, we're trying to figure out how to use their tools to do the challenges and to do the speed tests and things like that. So the state office will have the benefit. You know, I at, at this point, I I feel like. Um, states should assume that the FCC has ceased to exist once the beat allocations are made and, and not use any FCC data. Uh, I, I just, the FCC has proven time again, not only that it can't get this right, but that it can't even be honest about what it's doing. And I think so a there. lot of them will. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think you're, you're, you're going to get any feedback from us on that statement, Chris. <laughs> so, um, we one of the things that happened, I feel like right before we left, is that AT&T announced a partnership with BlackRock and um, BlackRock is, I don't know, Wall Street people that have a lot of money. And um, that's my description of them. And uh, I think talk of 100 of, of 1.5 million fiber passings that will be open access. <laughs> So I asked, I asked Doug what that meant and Doug has an answer, but then I also asked Dane Jasper uh, from Sonic who has been on this show in the early days and who is about to pop up here um, to join us as well to talk about this. 
Um, so let's start by just, uh, Dane, just remind us who we are, who you are, and what Sonic is, and then oh, we'll no, dive no. into it. Also remind us who we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hurt. Chris, good to see you. Um, Doug. Um, so uh, my name is Dane Jasper, and I'm the CEO and co-founder at Sonic. And uh, Sonic is a, a fiber-to-the-home-focused internet access provider uh, for a bit over two and a half decades now based in California. And uh, so interesting to talk about um, what uh, the announcement uh, about what BlackRock and AT&T are doing. Obviously, I don't have any uh, inside information, but I certainly can speculate about uh, about what that means. Right. Well, I think where you come in, Dane, is um, Doug's. Uh, well, I'll just rather than giving people a preview, I'm just going to surprise you all with where we're going. But Doug, um, when I asked you what is going on, what is open access, you said, "I know what's going on here." This is what I would call wholesale. Uh, you remember, mm -hmm. this is a very common existing model. In fact, you know, level three and, and, and CenturyLink have these things everywhere. AT&T already has a lot of these everywhere. They build the business districts for the very purpose of letting all the other ISPs on. You know, in a given in a city business district, all the hotels and all those kind of chains, they use one ISP nationwide. And so the, that's how those folks get access or on other people's networks. Mm -hmm. So they are completely open. They're not cheap. And, and unless they happen to go to residences, which they almost never do, it's open access, but we've just always called this wholesale. It's mm -hmm. been around. It's been around since MCI got started, so it's nothing new. What they're what they're saying, I think they're counteracting the fact that that uh, CenturyLink just said they're going to spend a billion dollars to do this. So I think that there's a race to get more business districts. So, but I don't. I don't know. I don't have any insight either. But. You know, so when you that said that, be, that would be very typical. Yeah. So. Two things popped into my head. One was maybe we'll talk about, um, but which is that I feel like some of the access has been regulatorily forced um, to let under the, the broadband, it's a BDS broadband yes. data system, whatever that is. Broad, broadband data, data services. Broadband data services. This is, this is where Dane, I feel like you've really taken advantage. And so, Maybe a, a quick, very quick history to avoid any of you going too long on it, I would say, is that back in the 90s, um, there were dial-up ISPs and everyone had to uh, share the telephone system. And as the telephone system um, added uh, the DSL circuits and higher speeds, Congress required the telephone companies generally to share their lines in certain ways. And that regulation has been chipped away at over and over again. Dane is one of many ISPs that had survived, as I should say, one of few ISPs comparatively that survived that and has uh, continued to have an arrangement with the incumbent telephone company, uh, probably to both of your benefits. And and so let's start there, Dane, and just tell us a little bit about, about working with AT&T. Yeah, historically, um, you know, carriers, you know, as Doug noted, carriers have always worked together. Mm -hmm. The reality is that not everybody has a network that reaches everywhere. And so you always have to work with other carriers using what we call type two circuits, meaning it's over someone else's network to get to the end user that you need to. And, and as Doug points out, big national buyers will work with one carrier partner who will then work with whoever has the local infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, now, <clears throat> there has, um, there's been a couple categories, you know, regulated access, unbundled network elements, you know, that's copper and uh, inter-office transport regulated under the 96 Telecom Act. And then there's just commercial wholesale. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the regulated access is, is by and large ending. 
Um, and, uh, and the wholesale, you know, as Doug points out, it's expensive. And uh, so as we think about what's happening with this open access project, um, they've called it an open access project, but they've also been clear that AT&T itself and their retail operations will be the anchor tenant and they'll take some time to prove the market commercially. Who knows what they'll then open it up to? It could be, you know, B2B, other carriers selling to businesses. It could be they open it to municipalities for smart applications. Are they going to open it to T-Mobile who wants to sell mobile and home internet in a bundle like AT&T does? Maybe not. And, and here's another better question. Are they going to open it up to Dane at a reasonable rate? Because they're going to give Verizon a really big discount because they're going to be buying 10,000 of these connections. And if Dane wants to buy three, I bet he pays twice as much. And the fact yeah. is, it's not, it's not open access in like, here's the price to get on the network. It's still going to be very aimed at, at who the buyer is. So uh, I can guarantee you there's, that's how it's going to work. So and that's how it works today. So. Mm -hmm. Dane, do you want to share any numbers in terms of how many connections you have over with AT&T and how that's changing? If you don't want to, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had a, a longstanding, um, both regulated and unregulated uh, relationship with AT&T. They've been a great partner for us. Um, it's mutually beneficial uh, where we can use their network to reach consumers. Um, but I, I can't really address the scale of it. I'm not comfortable doing so. Yeah, no, that's cool. So one of the things that I saw in, in a conversation that you and I were in, Dane, with a group of folks was, you know, someone who tracks this stuff pretty closely said, well, I'll be interested when AT&T goes outside of an area that it's an ILAC in. And the first one it's building right now is Mesa. And, and mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is, is that this is supposedly going to be 1.5 million addresses that are outside of AT&T's ILAC area. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, and, and it, it makes a lot of sense, right? On their balance sheet, they're committed to building, I think, 30 million premises in total over the coming years inside of their 22-state incumbent territory, right? This is areas where they own buildings, they own conduit, they have organized labor, a lot of complexity, and they're going to continue to do that work on their balance sheet as they uh, upgrade and develop. But in new territories, they have an opportunity for a clean sheet, so they say, well, let's go build someplace like Mesa, Arizona, or whatever comes next. And let's do that in a totally new structure, in a partnership with an infrastructure fund, off our balance sheet, and, uh, and, and look at it a new way. Now, Mesa is interesting because so mm -hmm. many people are building network in Mesa, Arizona. Um, and but everybody what, from Google Fiber to Sci-Fi Networks, CenturyLink. Yeah, they, I mean, can they all make money? Yeah, yeah the, I guess that's my opinion. If they're going to do a test bed of this model, why Mesa of any place? Would you, What's your speculation on that? Well, one way to look at that is if, if it can work in an area where you have lots of competitors, then it could work anywhere. So that's, you know, trial by The New York fire. City answer. Yes. Now, <laughs> the other side is Mesa is a big market, and it could be that you know, one carrier builds three neighborhoods and another carrier builds a different three neighborhoods. And we don't end up with five fiber providers all overlapping each other going down every street. Uh, so r remains to be seen what happens in that market in particular. I have to assume that one of the issues is that um, when CenturyLink first 
left its ILEC territory to operate on the municipal network in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, it went up against AT&T. That's AT&T ILEC territory. And I wasn't surprised that the first place AT&T is going is Mesa. And I feel like a lot of the areas where AT&T is going to be expanding these 1.5 million, I suspect are going to be CenturyLink areas. I think they sense a weakness from CenturyLink. Yeah, and, and of all of the incumbents, CenturyLink uh, has traditionally been the slowest to invest in their network um, and has the least fiber-connected premises as a percentage of their footprint. So they have the most vulnerability to overbuilders, whether that is Metronet or Google Fiber or Sonic or AT&T. And uh, so, yes, the other side of this is Verizon is AT&T's big mobile competitor. So would AT&T and this new joint venture go and build a Fios territory? Um, or would they go build against CenturyLink, who they don't have that same uh, competitive relationship with? So I think you're right. You'll probably see markets selected that are CenturyLink focused initially. And not only that, but CenturyLink has still not made any real commitment to do fiber. They, they hedge, and hedge on it every single January. And so, you know, they're only talking about building a million lines this year, which is nothing for their footprint. So, and, 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 mo clear, and most of those are going to be business places. We're using CenturyLink to to focus to use both kind of the the CenturyLink before it broke in half, um, but yes. I think we're talking about mostly Lumen, but but yes. CenturyLink historic. Yes. Travis, any yeah. any thoughts about this conversation? Go ahead, Dane. No, I was just checking out the Cirrus Jet Pine Day, and I, I like that. So, um, no, uh, <laughs> so far, uh, you know, the, the you brought up Springfield, Missouri. I'm actually going through there. What happened for those of us that aren't educated on every little town in the country? Springfield built a network, which um, our, our guest later might contest if I use the term open access uh, to um, to describe. Uh, it used a similar model that uh, was used in um, um, Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama, uh, in which you have a municipal network built out kind of through the alleys, but there's no drops. And that is leased on a wholesale basis. Uh, and it results in some minimal competition uh, and a variety of other benefits, um, but is an arrangement that some have called open access and others have not. So Springfield did that, and CenturyLink is the partner there that has built it out. I believe it is largely built out, and I can try to connect you with the head of the utility there if you'd like. No, I was just curious. You know, the, the question I have on Mesa, is it possible that Mesa is just easy to work with? You know, because we never, we never talk about how difficult some of these cities are so i just didn't know maybe there's do they is somebody in mesa championing these different networks to come city the city is the well, city. i think this the former i knew i interviewed their cio several years ago who i think is not the cio there anymore but they were working very hard to try to make this easy they were engaging in like uh, joint builds and in conduit kind of things uh like open conduit projects so um okay. So you know, I think it is possible. They've been trying to stylize themselves as being welcome to this sort of investment. I well, let, let's not lose sight for cities. If it's easy to build there, it's it's going to be easier to attract somebody to come. 
than if it's, it's going to be way easier in, there than it is where you live. It's sandy soil. Yeah. Just okay. Good things, right? So. I, I love that Travis is like, we don't talk about that. We've talked about that a billion times on this show. Not this particular show. I just want to. Okay. Yeah. No, and I, 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 I want to keep reminding these cities that if they're a giant pain, <laughs> you know what? No one's ever going to build there. So it all starts with that. I, I just I want to say, say I'm very impressed that Travis's lips and the voice are syncing up right now. That's good. Yeah, what are we on right now, Trav? Hey, we're on which day, and by there the way, I just want this just reinforces nope. my point of. Never mind. I should have got them all. I right jinxed them. You, you really <laughs> jinxed him there, Doug. I'll say on the. I'll, I'll speak for Travis on the topic of the the challenges in deployment. Um, we didn't hit our build target last year entirely because of permitting issues. And we currently have 25 cities that we have selected for fiber deployment that are in a stop status um, because of issues with the relationship with the cities. Uh, we have a number of cities who are simply saying, we don't allow any new aerial infrastructure. New aerial. There just can't be any. And uh, but they allowed Crown Castle to put fiber up to some cell towers last year, but but we can't deploy. And those kind of fights are really challenging. I, 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 I one of the reasons that I like to have Travis on here and Dane, I appreciate the candor on that. Um, are you uh, and so I don't want to pass over, but I'll note cities need to reform this. Like in, in many cities, you don't have a single person working for the city who was alive during a time in which there were massive numbers of permits to build a citywide telecommunications infrastructure, right? It was in the eighties with the cable companies, maybe. So, so cities do need to make sure that they have an appropriate process for mass scale building um, as opposed to what they might be used to, which is some kind of incremental type efforts. Um, but Dan, I'm curious, are you putting poles in the ground then in some of these areas? Cause I know that you're committed to aerial, but, um, you actually will put in your own poles if you need to. You have to put in a pole, a bypass pole, if an existing pole is unsafe. So, you know, you have a, a lead down a, a street and, you know, say there's 50 poles, one to the next to the next in front of the homes. And the 25th pole is, is rotting and is unsafe as it stands. Uh, so in that case, you have to put a little half a pole, an 18 foot tall, what's called a bypass or temporary pole next to that for any new loads, the new attachment until that pole gets replaced. And so we have, um, we have some cities that are saying, we don't want you putting in a bypass pole, but under NEC around the US and under General Order 95, from, from a safety perspective, you can't add load to an unsafe pole. So there's just no way to deploy uh, without putting those in. And those are always a part of the uh, aerial deployments. But we also have cities that are just saying, nothing new can go on a pole since the 80s. Everything new has to be underground. And um, that doesn't make a lot of sense because, you know, say you've got a pole with a power on it, and with cable on it and with telco. And if they required me to go underground at the base of that pole, then in the future, when everything that's on that pole is going to get undergrounded, then what I've put in there is in the way. You really should deploy everything aerial until you move it all underground all at once. And in a so, joint, which will save costs. Correct. And uh, so, you know, we've got a number of cities that are either saying 
no, there's we don't allow new aerial infrastructure, which really makes no sense if you'd like to see broadband deployed uh, and competitive choice. Uh, and we've got some cities that are saying, well, we don't want those bypass poles. And that obviously stops the entire project. And I think it's a misunderstanding of the engineering and deployment process. Um, eventually, the electric utility, uh, the pole owner will upgrade the unsafe pole. The, the bypass pole is then removed and the, the load is transferred to that newly uh, replaced or reinforced pole. But um, those kind of challenges are, are uh, slowing us down. How are you overcoming them, Dane? Like, if they just don't want the poles, are you just pulling out of that project or what are you doing? What is your strategy? Well, you can't build it if mm -hmm. if you can't deploy bypass poles because mm -hmm. there's always a few unsafe poles. And uh, if, if there's an unsafe pole, you can't deploy. So uh, that's a challenge. The cities that are saying, we won't give you an encroachment permit for new aerial infrastructure. Obviously the entire project is simply on hold. And so we have to shift to another city and build somewhere else. Uh, as to how we approach that, you know, we negotiate with the community. We explain the benefits of the deployment of, you know, fast fiber broadband, the benefits of competitive access and having more than just the cable company to choose from for fast access. Mm. And then we push it over to legal who then tries to leverage, uh, you know, the requirements for deployment around general order 95 and CPC regulation of poles. Now, Dane has one really mm -hmm. stupid alternative. He can actually replace the whole existing pole himself, which is incredibly expensive. So he, he could, some folks are actually doing that. And that I wish that we could, but they, they, the pole No. Really? No, no unfortunately. Wow, you're uh, really up against it. <laughs> are, these, are these pole owners, if there's a commonality, are these IOUs? Are they municipal? Or do you have a sense of... It's, it's a variety, but the in the majority of California, the poles are owned by Pacific Gas and Electric or SoCal Edison, and and you know to their credit, I mean, fire safety is a concern, pole safety is a concern, and they're making huge investments in repairing the massive backlog of unsafe poles. But it is a huge backlog, and so if PG&E is going to come in in three or four or five years and replace the 500 poles out of 5,000 in a city, which are unsafe at any given time, that doesn't help when you want to deploy fiber to the home today. You need mm -hmm. to be able to put in those bypass poles in order to deploy fiber because that reinforcement, replacement, resolving that safety issue is going to happen on its own schedule based on the safety priority of you know how you know, how unsafe the poles are, not just in that city, but in communities all across the state. And I'm well, presuming the reason for that is because if in order for you to replace the poles, you will have to tie up one of their crews and they don't want to do that. They want to go in and assign their crews where they want, because like that, you have to mess with the power system. Yes, power crews need to do that work. Um, you know, my understanding is in PG&E's case, they do that with their own teams. I mean, this is not the kind of work that a communications provider or our contractors could do. And, um, you know, they're, they're planning to do that project to fix those safety issues in that city X years from now. And, and you got to remember, it's a, very, it's a very unusual reverse situation. They're working in the rural areas because they were blamed for starting some of the wildfires. 
And the reason so, they were blamed is because out, they started some like, of the wildfires. Correct. <laughs> yes. yeah. But they're out fixing the rural poles first now, and they're letting the cities alone. So it's a it's not a good situation. So yeah. Uh, any last thoughts for for Dane? Uh, we're behind schedule, so we got to cut you loose in a sec. No, happy to happy to connect. But uh, and nice to see you guys. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Dane, and uh, and good luck with all that work. Yeah, of course. Have a great day. Take care. So we have a, a minute before we bring our, our next guest on, and I wanted to make sure that we talk a little bit about uh, Gigi Sohn, the FCC. Um, this is something we talked a little bit about in the pre-show, and I think people may be interested in, but um, uh, Gigi was not confirmed at the end of last year. Like, I think I certainly hoped that she would be, and Travis was really, really hoping that she would be so that um, he'd lose the bet. I think, and I meant to look this up, but I think we have a bet that she'll be confirmed um, at the time that the FCC is supposed to increase the broadband definition or else have to buy more wings, um, uh, which is the beginning of March. <laughs> so uh, it, it's looking pretty tight. I'll tell you that right Travis, now. Um, Travis, what is more wings than zero? I'm just trying to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he has to be available to go have wings. That's been a problem. Uh, I was available. I pushed so hard to get together and you just told me no. And then I was all like, let's get together before you leave town. And you were like, yeah, no time. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. He just wanted to come play some pinball. So it was for me, it was months leading up to that where I kept being like, let's hang out. And then I just wouldn't be available. So um, definitely my fault in those. A lot of the lobbyists uh, against Gigi, I think, legitimately thought the FCC would not renominate her. Um, so uh, a couple of things have changed that I think are are useful in knowing. Um, one is just that um, the Senate, um, you know, last in the in December basically didn't consider any nominations. Um, I don't want to turn this into a political show, but the Senate basically assumed that there would be no legislating after the new Congress came in. Um, I don't know if we actually have a Speaker of the House yet. I don't know if anyone's been following the news. Um, we don't. The twelfth okay. vote. Yeah, he got more. He uh, McCarthy got more votes, but on this last one. So okay. It's so the better. Senate, the Senate expected this um, ridiculousness from the new House, and basically said we're going to do nominees in 2023, and we're going to do as much legislation as they could in 2022 before people skip town to go with their families. Um, and so. Uh, the Senate focused on that. So anyway, Gigi's renominated. Uh, it's a sign that the White House really does want her to be confirmed. There's now 51 Democratic votes. Um, and so I think there's an expectation that Gigi will be moving forward quickly. At least that's my expectation. Kim, I see you're shaking your head a little bit. Yeah, like if they've nominated her and they don't have the votes um, already set in place for her to pass, I think that is just a disservice to Gigi because I think that she has been waiting for over a year now for this vote. And I think yeah. the vote needs to happen soon. Yes. Yeah, from the time that she was basically vetted, it has been more than 18 months. So she's yeah. been sitting on the sidelines for 18 months. Not, I mean, not sitting on the sidelines. I'm sure she's been active on things, but she hasn't been able to like write or be active publicly on this stuff. Yeah. Doug, I couldn't even imagine what, what, what her family and her are going through to go through this. I mean, just even watching it from the sidelines has been hard. So uh, I, I wish her that she at least gets a floor vote by hopefully February, but she has to go through the whole entire process again. This is not just a vote anymore. She has to go through the, um, um, all the pre-hearings. I'm not optimistic, Chris, only because I'm not sure at this point that they would, it does, I don't think they would renominate anybody. They don't want a fifth commissioner of the big carriers and, and they're spending a lot of money on lobbying against no matter who it is. You know, they only have to turn two people on, on the Democrats. Money can do that. So 
Well, um, I think there yeah. may be a Republican or two that actually wouldn't there, vote against there might her. Be. But, there might be. Um, but it's more likely that they would be the 52nd vote than that they would be the 50th vote. Correct. Correct. Um, so. I, I, I'm going to put it out there. Like I'll say this and I'll, I'm willing to make a bet on it. I don't know that I like March 2nd as a day for it, but I think Gigi will be on the commission. Um, I, like Doug said, uh, Comcast just recently, um, um, you know, I was going to say that they bought a lobbyist that was a former, um, Senator Cantwell aide. Senator Cantwell runs the committee that Gigi will have to be, um, a pass through that committee has already voted for her. So, um, I don't think it's much of an issue, but it's just a sense of what Comcast is out there doing along with other companies that aren't even communications or not even broadband companies who are also opposing her. Um, the Fraternal Order of Police put out a, a press release in which they just savagely attacked the Electronic Frontier Foundation and said Gigi was unfit to serve because she was a board member of it. So um, the Fraternal Order of, uh, of Police really does not like communicate, does not like encryption, among other things. So um, like Gigi is getting so attacked by a lot of different corners that I think have no real gripes with her. But um, yeah, I, I don't other, think it's the other, big, think, the other big lobbyist is Fox dollar wise. And, and that's more from the, from their normal Fox network, not Fox news side. They, they're, they're, there's a whole lot of things coming up for, for opening up competition and airwaves and they don't want that. So, so yeah, there's a whole lot of people against a lot of big corporations don't want a fifth commissioner. So I will take this. I will, I will agree with Chris for once. I think she will get the fifth FCC spot. I will be on your side on this bet. Um, I know Doug's against us, but Chris. I'm not against it. I'm just pessimistic. I really, <laughs> I really want her to be there. I mean, I'm very much, this is ridiculous to have a regulatory agency that can't regulate. So, yeah. Travis. Hello, Mr. Mitchell. I mean, I know you don't you don't track these D, these DC things closely, but I figured you just want to try to get a rise out of me or just get in on the bet action. I is there some like big vote that's waiting to happen, or is the FCC supposed to do something that this is really required? Or uh, well, there's a number of things that are going on. I mean, the FCC will be dealing with polls. It'll be dealing with digital discrimination um, and trying to define that as well as develop a plan around it. Um, there are a, a the whole idea of the, the um, universal service needs to be totally reconfigured, which the FCC would need to take seriously, um, which I don't know that anyone there really wants to. Uh, Doug, no, I, know, to I know he doesn't read my blog because this was my Wednesday blog, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've been, I'm a little behind, to be honest okay. with you. Yes. <laughs> Ever since I've been on the road here, I've been trying to figure out, you know, if, if, if Gigi gets confirmed, can she do something about cellular internet? Maybe that would, maybe that could be something. Well, like, I'll know. tell you, Gigi is a strong proponent of much better use of the spectrum, I think. And so yes. I actually okay. think that you would line up with her on that. All right. Well, then that, yes. that would be useful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's turn to CES, uh, the consumer electronics show. Uh, I believe we have, um, uh, our correspondent now is able to join us. <laughs> Roger Timmerman. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, you get the, uh, non glasses version of me, so I don't get to join the glass uh, club today, but that's because I'm wearing contacts because that's better for trying out all the VR stuff. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, Roger, he called you a correspondent, so I believe that you get paid for this. Oh, <laughs> nice. uh, Kim will cut you a check. <laughs> Sweet. So, Roger, okay, you can I, are... Can I leave the show now since this is my boss's on the show? 
No. Okay. <laughs> if you lose the show, we lose half of our audience, which just enjoys <laughs> <laughs> you making fun of me and Travis. Um, <laughs> Roger, uh, you are the, the head of Utopia, um, and we don't know what that is because it's um, A, awesome, and B, Kim's on it. Um, but mm -hmm. you're a, a longtime CES guy, right? Tell us a little bit about, um, about some of your interesting history and, and just what you're seeing this year. Yeah, this going to CES has always been kind of a, a guilty pleasure of mine to, to go out here, and it's like it's research. <laughs> it is relevant research, um, but it's also a lot of fun. This is a great show to see all the cool new uh, gadgets and toys that are coming out. Uh, but or I go out there. Out. What's that? Or not coming out. But yes, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> shows up. Um, but, you know, I go with a, a, a broadband eye. You know, there's a lot of things to look at. You know, a lot of people look at these gaming PCs and stuff and like, oh, look how pretty and cool that is. And I'm over here turning around at the back of the thing saying, you know, did we got 10 gig ports on here? Well, you know, what do we got? <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I figured I, uh, this might be a good opportunity to share some of the cool new stuff that at least I've been able to find at the conference uh, so far uh, that's related to broadband. Um, so Do you just... see anything with 10 gig? I'm, it, I think it's more than 20 years since Apple standardized the one gig port on its machines. Uh, I think that was in the early 2000s. Um, are you seeing anything that actually has like 2.5, 5 or 10 gig ports on it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, And, and the Apple products have for several years. So the studio has 10 gig option, even the iMac pros, which have been out maybe four years there. Oh, okay. it's a, it's I'm not an Apple guy. So no. Yeah. They, they were one of the very first to start standardizing on 10 gig on their products, uh, which was cool. We were like, Hey, a consumer product consumer, you know, pro level, um, at least with a, a 10 gig port built in and, and they were using N base T. And so that would negotiate to either two and a half, five, but, actually supported mm -hmm. 10 uh, if you'd plug it into something with 10 gig so utopia fiber we were one of the first to go grab one of those buy it put it in our in our room to show people you could actually grab a consumer type device plug it in with 10 gig uh, equipment and run a you know 9.2 gigabit speed test result on a residential connection on our network you know there wasn't a lot of stuff you could just go get that was considered consumer grade that you could plug in so part of that is me looking here. Is there any more? You know, if there's like two mm -hmm. products out there, that doesn't really <laughs> legitimize 10 gig is is the future. Uh, so so I'll jump right into that. Um, everybody's launching their Wi-Fi seven routers. Okay, so uh, you know we just heard about 6E, <laughs> which opened up a bunch more spectrum, but now we got Wi-Fi seven, which still uses the same spectrum, but they're using better modulation and larger channel sizes, uh, and they're you know out there. You know, we can do 25 gigabits over wireless, but that's, you know, the expectation is you'll get different devices and different bands and different channels, um, but but consuming far greater than gigabit. Uh, so we're definitely into, you know, multi-gig space uh, in our wireless and those routers, they're putting on 10 gig ports. So I'm excited. Uh, before it was the very best consumer router was an Asus router that had a 10 gig LAN and it had both the fiber option and the wired option. So you could actually plug fiber right into a consumer router. Well, can, um, I, can I do a quick poll? I'm just curious. Um, what do we think for a Wi-Fi 7 router? What do we think the lowest uh, cost is? I'm, I'm going to say the lowest cost is 500 with a median cost significantly above that for a person to purchase it. Doug, Kim, Travis, what, do you, what are your guesses? Well, first generation, they're always ridiculously expensive. So, yeah, that, easily that much. Yeah. So, 
I'm going to go 650. <laughs> Travis? Uh, hang on, let me go, let me let me look at my email here. 229 per mesh node. How many, <laughs> how many nodes do you want? So, right Roger, is that what you're seeing? Is like these, uh, that's the other thing. Just like, I feel like prices that if you three years ago, you told me that someone's going to be paying like more than $500 for a router, I would have laughed, but I feel like that's the direction we're going. Do you have any sense of pricing from what you're seeing there? Yeah. I mean, the, the Wi Fi 7 ones right now are the flagship, uh, you know, for each of these brands, uh, which would be you know, ASUS and TP Link, Zizel. Uh, there's several of them. Eris, which Eris is an interesting one because they're a cable modem company um and so they have a 10 gig wan port i'm like that's that's interesting so um anyways yeah you're you're right they're gonna these are gonna be in the 500 range for the most part um and you know as, as we start seeing hey now we're, we're dropping into the more common consumer range versus the the power user uh i think we'll see them lower eventually but yeah, our, online our online folks are saying much more expensive than that. Yeah. Well, we have Mike who said six ninety nine, so I'm all for Mike because that's closest to mine. But Roger, you well, should have said six. I mean, I've got the old ASUS router that has the ten gig WAN and LAN port, and I mean, it was five hundred bucks new, and I think you can get them for four hundred now. So what are you doing with yours since you're going to be upgrading? Yeah, I don't know. You want a deal on it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk offline. <laughs> Um, Why so, do you need it, Chris, for your connection? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> so, so not, something that came uh, that's of note is the new ASUS router has three LAN ports that are 10 gigs. So, not only are we just seeing a port, now they're starting to come out and say, "Hey, we actually want to be plugging stuff in at this into this thing, multiple devices at 10 gig." And then that begs the question: Are there devices out there with 10 gig? Uh, it is becoming very common now uh, as I'm, I'm going around looking at the backs of all these computers. The gaming PCs are pretty much every gaming PC out there now is going into multi gig. So you got a lot of them at 2.5 gig and 5 gig. I'm not seeing many at 10 gig. Uh, now, where I do see a lot of 10 gig is your content creation. So you got two power user lines of PCs out there now. You basically say, here's content creators. Um, which would be like a workstation. They're basically saying, yeah, you're, you know, hosting connect this. You have to have this. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so wh whatever you are, whether you're streaming, gaming, or doing videos, podcasting, whatever, um, content creators, uh, they're putting 10 gig ports on those. Uh, so, so there's a lot of those. Um, but then the gaming machines actually seem to be taking a step back a little bit at the five gig and two and a half gig on the on the ethernet ports now they're putting in wireless adapters on a lot of these too so um I think yeah i think i mean it makes sense right i mean i, I we're struggling like i have uh, my laptop is gigabit and you know i'm i'm moving around sometimes a terabyte in the form of like 30 or 40 media files um as we're doing videos for different projects and things like that you know like 4k raw um capture and none of it's small file size and i just have to queue things up i'll often bring a spare pc into the office and and just have it sit there and chug away for a half hour 45 minutes of moving a file and then i do something on the other computer so uh, that 10 gig sounds really attractive and actually you know i feel like by the time that gets out in the market it might even be too slow for um the way the file sizes are going up with 8k and, and whatnot now yep so what a great segue into 8k <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of new TVs, a lot of new resolutions coming in, uh, high frame rates getting pushed uh, pretty hard. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, 
you know, the better the TVs get, the better the cameras get, uh, the more bandwidth that's going to need. Uh, so that's exciting to see. Now, I think is kind of a, a subset that actually hits bandwidth a little more. That is the VR side of things. So there's a ton of cool new VR products. We've got the Sony PlayStation VR 2. Uh, that one uh, has a better resolution uh, on your camera, on your, uh, you know, per eye. It's a uh, 2000 by 2040 on each eye, which is better than the Oculus Quest 2 or even the Oculus Quest Pro. I think I, should, I need to call it MetaQuest now, right? But uh, so, so they're actually coming to market with that at 550 bucks. I think they're losing money on that, to be honest, because like the Quest Pro, which specs are lower, uh, you know, those are like 1500 bucks or something. But Sony's selling this at 550 bucks. So definitely not cheap, but reachable in the consumer space. So I'm really excited about that. I, pr I put in my pre-order. Uh, I want to play with that thing as soon as I can. Um, do, the, do those things already have like games and things like that? I, I'm just, I'm so out of it. I don't, I haven't actually used any VR stuff. I've been, I've been trying to oh, avoid it. I feel like I'm just going to fall off and you're not going to see me again once I get into it, I'm afraid. <laughs> Chris, you got you to come out. I got to introduce you to some of these games. They're like Half-Life Alex and VR where you got, you're going around and getting chased by zombies and the power's going out. So you can't see anything. You're, aiming your flashlight and it, don't do it some, chris don't do it <laughs> there's some intense vr games out there i don't think any of them are don't, don't go in his basement there's real zombies <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I i remember when half-life originally came out i was in college and i lost many a night and i was terrified at times from that game just on a crt so <laughs> oh the new imagine. vr one is is phenomenal it's it's the best VR game out and, and it's been out a couple of years and everybody's waiting for some new game to outdo it. And, and Sony has a bundle for some new game. I can't remember what it's called, but it looks like a knockoff of Zelda. Um, but, but it's looking Let's to be pause really there for cool. a second. So, I mean, this is like for people that are not aware um, probably who are listening as opposed to the four of you are probably well aware, but like one of the things that Meta is trying to do as well as other people around the world is figure out how one in does those sorts of games in a multiplayer environment in, with, in different parts of the world, right? So if Roger's playing with someone in San Diego, how do you sync everything up and keep track of everything with super low latency and just, and then the, you might have a third person that's on a totally, that's, you know, even, even in, in Australia or something where you're trying to figure out how to, how to harmonize all this stuff and keep it all together. Are you doing any multiplayer type stuff or is, are we just not even there with our networks yet for most of us? There's a lot of VR multiplayer stuff. I don't do much of it. I do most of the single player games, but there are people out there doing VR stuff. I've got a brother-in-law that loves doing it with his, his kids. Um, so it, it's out there, but it seems like the best games or single player VR games for the most part. Okay. I got to go into some of the accessories though. So, yeah. so oh VR, like you got the normal setup. We've got, we got a smell add on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to play that in the zombie game, but you know, maybe some of these other games <laughs> you want to smell things. Uh, so that was from OVR technology uh we're seeing a whole lot more of these like haptic vests that you put on that have little things that that bump at you and you feel and then also just even if it's not <laughs> anyone, haptic, anyone feel like you get hit by a sledgehammer for that first person shooter game <laughs> yeah yeah we're we're getting into real you know ready player one ter territory here with our haptics and stuff so 
that stuff's all super cool and just keeps getting better. You know, you got your different types of gloves you can put on. It's interesting because there's cer certainly a line of development going on on like less gloves and, you know, camera detection of everything that's going on. So you can interact better with just your hands, but then you don't feel anything. So then the other side of it is put stuff on and, and wear vests and jackets and shoes and everything that, that gives you so touch. Basically, the more crap you put on, the less dates you get later on as you're a kid. <laughs> Come on, this stuff's just, awesome, Kim. And okay. some of us are married, so we can put on lots of stuff. <laughs> right. I can be as weird as, as married I now, though. Let's keep that currently. Perhaps even for a little while longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a there's another line of VR that we haven't talked about. That's the live video streaming of VR. Um, that's it, it's a demonstration that everyone needs to like try at some point. But the best company at doing it next VR was on the verge of going out and then Apple bought them. So I think we're going to see that come back, but they were putting these VR camera rigs like on the front row of NBA basketball games. And I remember watching one of these things in VR and it's like, you know, LeBron James just came in and dunked right in front of me. And, and it's not just like, Hey, here's a pre-recorded thing. They were streaming live games. Right. So you were actually there watching it. Well, it, it was great and amazing and it sucked. And the reason it sucked was because the cameras weren't as good a resolution and performance as they needed to be. The stitching and, and everything kind of was a little bit glitchy, but it, ultimately the resolution of your, your uh, VR sets was so limited that you had screen door effect. And, you know, you see someone on the other side of the court and you couldn't even tell who they were. But compare that to a 4K display up on the screen where the camera's constantly zooming and giving you the right shots and everything, you, you could see everything that was going on. So it was delivering an inferior experience, even though there were moments when it was amazing. So as we continue to see these new cameras come out, so you got this one from Canda, they've got this Obsidian Pro, it's a 12K you know, 3D, so you got two eye perspectives uh, capturing that in VR. Uh, so that's a way better rig than we've ever seen in the past that you could put in these events and live stream that. And again, you say 12K, what does that make any sense? But the idea here is if you're doing VR for a live event, real, like a real situation, you've got to video that, stitch it together and send this massive field of view because as a user, you're only looking at what you're looking at, right? So as you turn your head, it's not like the source is sending you a different video. The source is sending you the entire 12K wraparound panoramic image, and your VR set is simply looking at that portion. So the streaming requirement on that is through the roof, right? Uh, and the devices are getting there to the point where we're going to need to be streaming 12K and better to deliver a 2K view to a VR headset. That's interesting. And one of the things that I, I don't know if people are uh, aware of or interested in, but um, on the courts, generally, they're already been fiber optic to the cameras. So even your typical like HD camera or like when I'm um, at college events, even a lot of times they have fiber ports where the cameras are set up and they just they have a little connectorized and they just go right into that. Um, 
we had a tribal broadband boot camp in August um, at um, University of Oregon in Eugene, where they had held the World Track Championships. And to support that, um, I think the number was like 5,400 splices that they had done. Um, to, they had so much more fiber they had brought in to support all of the press, all of the cameras and all that sort of stuff. So like the IT is there to support getting this stuff from the venues, I think, into the cloud. And then there's that question of can it get it from the cloud to our homes? So yeah, lot, lots of lots more video, lots better quality, a lot of new cool new products to support that. Um, so obviously that we we need more broadband to support all of that. Um, and then and then you've only been there for a day. You've been there less than a day. <laughs> He's wow. paging through his notes. <laughs> yeah, oh, so much cool stuff. We get into like the agriculture stuff, the all your appliances that are coming out. Like everything's connected, right? Um, How, okay, so is there a real appliance though? I mean, like you know, I, I have to admit the 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 refrigerator that has like the, the screen where you can put up like pictures of your kid or whatever. Like that seems pretty cool, uh, you know. But my none of my none of my I don't have a single thing on Wi-Fi. I have a single appliance on Wi-Fi in my home. Well, so so there's a couple things here. Like there, somebody had launched this thing that did the predict predictive shelf life of produce, right? Like it would scan a, a, your avocado and tell you you know, from this time to this time, it'll be good. And I'm like, if I had a refrigerator that told me you better eat your avocado before it goes bad, you know, cause you have that like 15 minute window when it I was going to say, like, I wanted to wake me up in the middle of the night to tell me now, now. <laughs> well, if you said it that way. Yeah. So, so, I mean, like, is there value? I mean, maybe not just like the refrigerator itself. I, mine connects and I'm like, hey, this is stupid. I don't, it's going to send me a push alert to my, phone when I leave the door open, I guess. But uh, but there are some cool applications that now that you have this connectivity, uh, you know, those types of things of like telling me when my vegetables are good and reducing food waste, uh, that that's a real benefit. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's some neat stuff out there. Um, there's a urine scanner. <laughs> <laughs> this was from Withings, uh, which is a Nokia company, and they have a thing you can install in your toilet and actually it'll scan your urine and tell you all sorts of information about your health, um, which, you know, urine scanning has, you know, testing has been of value for a long time, but to actually have a, like a consumer device that you could use and, and be, you know, affordable and easy to put in that's pretty cool actually as long as it'll it'll track that it's my son that's missing the potty and not me um so that was kind of a weird one out there but uh there's uh you know in, in agriculture they have these automated uh herbicide machines that go out there and spot spray your your weeds right it'll scan and say you know figure out they what... identify they don't just like they're not like not, it's not just not recognized right it's like we recognize this and it's a specific herbicide for that particular plant i think too right because it's not just like a general catch-all herbicide that it uses potentially but it can actually select the correct one yeah so anyways those are just a few of the highlights i still have half of this this, this conference is so big i haven't even gotten to two-thirds of it yet but oh, yeah i can't even imagine i can't wait to when you come back into the office to hear hear the rest of it but joe plotkin has the worst dad joke on the planet but um i think it was really good if uh rye wants to put it up uh and then he corrected the data Re redefining data. data stream 
Yeah. Breed and fight it down. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Is there anything that you're, that you couldn't get into? I mean, you got the weekend to go, Roger. What are you looking forward to uh, that you haven't seen yet? Um, that's a good question. I, I think I'm looking forward to the health section. I haven't gotten to the health section much, which is a lot of the like exercise equipment. You know, there's been like super cool. It's almost video game health stuff nowadays, right? Like more and more you're part of a live class or a coach or something like that. Um, but, but they're able to do a lot more of that type of stuff. And in fact, uh, personally, I just got one of these, uh, bikes uh, you know a, a exercise bike but actually in moves up and down incline declines and and adjusts the resistance according to the zwift uh, app that it's running I, said picture, I said the picture in my head of you hanging onto the bike from the ceiling like help <laughs> i'm going off a cliff so anyways it's like i love that sort of stuff um and so i'm looking forward to that i, I remember there's been like ski simulators and golf simulators and all this other stuff to to do and they just keep getting more amazing every year. So I'm really looking forward to that, uh, going through that section. Um, so everybody can have that exercise piece of gear that they hang their clothes off of that's more techie in the, in the side of the room. I would use it. I need it right now. Like this is that hard time of year for us in Minnesota. Like I, most of my exercise comes from biking and I'm not doing a lot of it in 15 inches of snow. So well, Roger, send me some, send me some of the things that are on the market that are affordable that I should do. Um, I did, there was some stuff that had, there was a brain scanner, like, Hey, Hey, you should buy this brain scanner, stick it on your head. And I'm like, you know, we're, we're just going right, right past ready player one and going to ready player two, I think. So I don't know if anybody's a fan of that stuff, but it's, there was it, a, there was a really great book, um, by Daniel Suarez. It was his first book and it's called Damon. Um, um, and it's, um, it's a world in which, uh, kind of like, um, distributed computing, um, it's, it's like our world, but like someone has written a lot of, uh, applications in the cloud to basically do stuff. And it, it's a really terrific book, but there's a part of it where the machine basically wants a human to do something and it straps them into an fMRI scanner. I mean, it, it coerces them into an fMRI scanner, at which point basically asks him yes or no questions and can, can basically read his brain just by how it react, how he reacts to the questions. And it was, um, it was really quite intimidating, frankly, and scary. Um, uh, but a terrific, uh, is a, there's two books in that series, but, uh, Daniel Suarez, terrific writer. If you like this sort of stuff. Good recommendation. So anyways, lots more to see. I'll probably be throwing stuff out on my LinkedIn yeah. or whatever. Like here's a new at broadband thing, or here's a new cool geek thing or whatever, but yeah, Consumer Electronics Show is always a fun place to see what's coming down the pipe. And if there's ever a question about, are we going to need more bandwidth? This is the place to come realize that we're going to need more bandwidth. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, the I stuff don't... that's available now is hindered by the current broadband environment and would be so much better if we had, you know, better broadband out there and the, and the companies supporting them. I mean, even the streaming companies like Netflix, you're like, why is this so overly compressed and crappy quality? And it's like, cause they have to design it to work to the most possible customers, not to the ability of the technology. Um, so we really are holding back the consumer industry because of bad, bad broadband out there. Now, 15% of, all, 15 of all homes now subscribe to gigabit. That alone is now a sizable enough market to start you know, doing more devices for it. That the people would actually buy. The word's not getting out to the average gigabit family. Roger needs to tell more people. So, 
Do, do you have a sense of where we are with the um, people hitting their cap? Um, I had blown mine away in November because I was deliberately doing some stuff and testing out different things with the Comcast. And I, I knew that I was going to exceed it in December. I was getting really close and I thought I was being clever and just staying under it. And I went into the office to sync a file on Travis's uh, fiber oh. where I knew I wouldn't hit the bandwidth cap, but Dropbox synced it to my home automatically because <laughs> I hadn't set the cloud settings correctly. And so right. I ended up blowing the cap away. <laughs> Again. I've I've recently read that it's fifteen to twenty percent month by month people blow the cap. It's a lot. So. Yeah. yeah, and Comcast only has it in areas where they don't have competition, right? So right. maybe AT and T right. will solve that problem for me here. You never uh, any other any other questions for Roger from anyone? Uh, ten plus ten points, Roger. If you get Chris wound up, so he's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh, by the way, are you guys going to try the hundred gig this this year with us? Who's so, you guys? Oh, that, we're, there oh, that we're just. Oh, we already announced it. We already announced it that we're doing. Yeah, it. We have hundred gig. All right, all right. I'm, I'm getting all available. The parts. I'm getting all the not parts. Not to the home. Not to the home yet. Yeah, oh, okay. I just I just want to point out before Roger leaves that the only device that Chris really reacted to was the urine tester. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, no. To, Travis, to your point, right? Like, we're at, if somebody wants 100 meg to a home, if you're an gig. active network, yeah. Did I say meg? 100 gig? Yeah. If somebody okay. wants 100 gig, you just put in 100 gig electronics and you plug them in. So, hey, we're you doing it. You, you guys are in. I already, I already committed you. So, we're both going to yeah. do it. <laughs> Here it is Utopia Fiber has 100 gig to yep. any home or yep. business throughout our entire footprint. And Kim's like, what are you talking about? Ah. Um, no, I'm just going to say, is Mike, yeah. who's in the chat, are you uh, going to subscribe to our 100 gig new product that we're offering since you're a subscriber to us? See, you never know. Well, the question is, how much are you going to charge? <laughs> well, for the pilot, I think you have to give him a discount, right, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said he'll do it. He'll do it. <laughs> Mike's it. Mike's in. <laughs> 10 gig was so yesterday. So come on, yeah, guys. Like yeah. I'm with you, Travis. <laughs> so roger feel free to feel free to stick around we're going to wrap the show up in a, in a minute or two but i just wanted to see say that um with uh as we wrap the show up with uh bead again the 42 and a half billion dollars every state has gotten their paperwork in every state is in in puerto rico or are planning uh on that uh, developing their multi-year plan for how they're going to spend the money um and uh doug you recently went off on how um, I feel like it's a post that I don't, maybe you can tell us if anything had changed. We can keep Roger up if you want. Um, um, <laughs> you don't have to kick him out yet. Um, but I feel like your post could have been written before. Is there anything that's new in terms of your post that you feel like your, your opinions have changed about NTIA, the way they're administering the bead program? Yeah, they're actually not done yet because there's still things going on in the background for the actual details of some of those points. So they're, they're actually not finished They've published the main rules, but now they're starting to flesh in behind the scenes what they mean by things like middle class rate plan. And so, th so th it's not actually a finished deal yet. And they're communicating these out to the broadband offices. So my understanding and talking to broadband offices is they're layering on, they're getting more detailed, which means layering on even more rules. So is the, what I'm understanding is happening. How do you so it, yeah. So when they, when they, you know, produce the NOFA. That was not the end of the story. So. Now, when you wrote that post, which I thought was, was really good, um, um, 
John Chambers wrote back, and I think I'm largely in agreement with John and with you that NTIA took the wrong path. It should have figured out how to make it easier for the states to get the money and start getting the money out. Um, but it didn't choose that path. John, in a comment on your blog, wrote that basically it was because, this is my summary, um, NTIA was trying to appease Democratic constituencies. And I don't know if I really think that's the main reason. How did you react to that? I didn't understand that because the Democrats would want the money to get out sooner. So I, I, I didn't understand this point. Um, you know, NTIA is completely deluged with, with lobbyists of every kind. I mean, they're, they're under so much pressure. Um, I've always just thought that what they've done is just become extra cautious. They just don't want to make any mistakes. I think it's as simple as that. I think that I think we're overthinking it. Yes, politics is in everything, but I, I you know, I, I don't think that's the reason. But I could be wrong. I mean, you never know behind the scenes. So. Travis, are you about to ask us who's going to go after the money? He was just seeing if his hand was being picked up on the camera. No, no, no. You know, I, I really feel we've done a poor job getting you on a rant. So here we go. You ready? Let's hope let's hope this LTE holds up. I have the bead solution. You ready, Chris? Per square mile in the country. So for every square mile you get twelve thousand dollars. Have each state go solve the problem. So because it's forty two point five billion dollars, we've got four million square miles. That's eleven thousand one hundred and ninety three dollars per square mile. So if you're a little tiny state, you get less. Right. Is that right? And if you're a real big state, you get more. There you go. I grant. want the grant. I want the grant money for the for Death Valley because I don't have to spend much. <laughs> Come on, Chris. I I'm no. So here's the thing, right? I actually feel <laughs> like that sort of an approach has more merit than people would think. Um, simple, get it out they, there. They could have published the, the rule on day one, Chris. Yeah, they didn't have to go through the rigmarole. They could have just said, "Here's what every state gets." <laughs> Most of the cost is construction, and if you got more dirt to construct, it's going to cost you more than if you have less. There you go. People so. don't always like this, and and I'm sure I'm curious, you know, Kim and Roger, people who actually do things, um, as opposed to me who talks about things for the most part um, and writes about things. Like, um, I I feel like whenever I'm trying to develop a policy, I try to think, okay, I'm going to screw this up, right? I'm not going to hit it dead on. Where do I want to? Where do I want to err? Do I want to err on this side or do I want to err on that side? And whenever I present it to that way, I feel like particularly some people in government, in particular, are like, no, you got to try and get it just right. And I'm always like, that's a fool's errand. Just, just go in the right direction, get moving. Like, just don't waste a ton of time and, and and iterate. That's the problem with government, though. That's a problem why these networks don't start. Is that you're going to make mistakes. Nothing is going to be perfect. Just do something and pivot along the way to make it work, but that you can never get something perfect out the gate. Nobody. And they're afraid that ISPs are going to have trouble launching their networks and some of them mm -hmm. will, and some of them will fail. That's life. Mm -hmm. It's well, better than if we don't build the networks. And there needs to be mm -hmm. sufficient time for the incumbent lobbyists to come in and screw up every program too. So, <laughs> well, they, they've done a good job of delaying. They're, they're, I have to give them credit. So. Well, no, and that's, that's one of the things, right? Is that like, I mean, I don't know that it's happening here on this issue. At least I can't cite an example of it, but there's certainly issues where like, I would guess that many of the people who wrote Dodd-Frank are now working in the industry to compl help companies comply with it. Right. Like, oh, I think, I think you can guarantee that. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, and that's, there's a variety of issues around that, that need to be worked out, I think. Um, but we're, we're a bit long and um, uh, this has been a fun show. It gives me a lot of hope 
for this year. And uh, it is wonderful to see all of you again. Roger, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Um, I Thanks love you having me. you uh, drop by in person as well as in the chat box on other shows. I have one last question. Travis, this has been your best connection. Who are you on with now? Oh, now what I'm doing, I got real fancy. I'm bonding T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon together. It so works. So I'm sending okay. one packet out each one to try to make it work. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. round-robin algorithm on your bonding yeah, there. Exactly. So whoever <laughs> believes that wireless internet is a long-term solution, I'm telling you, I have a bridge for sale here in St. Louis. Well, you know, we didn't, we, we never give you a chance to tell us. Um, I'm just surprised you're not on Starlink. In the past, you've used Starlink, and Starlink worked well, not perfectly. You'd have a glitch here or there, but like it generally got you through, and it's not right now, it seems. Yeah, no, Starlink was working great, like out in the middle of nowhere. But when I got into St. Louis here and it got a little busy, especially last night. Oh. Not only did not work, it you jinxed it. It kicked me off. Yeah. So well, is, is that it is, it's the upload. If I talk too much, I lose everything. So is it because of um uh can is it because of um of uh what's it called? Um um oh, interference? Is it because of interference or is it because of saturation and, and congestion? Well, I'm guessing, but here's what you get in the app it's you either are online or offline, and it gives you no reason why. So I was offline through the peak hours, and then magically I reconnected. So I, I got I got to read how this best effort works. But so for only the low cost of four hundred dollars a month, you too can have internet on the road. So and it mostly fun. works, except for and when it, it doesn't. Well, no, except you for when you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well. Um, we are going to be looking forward to a whole nother year of these shows. Um, and uh, I, I want to try and do kind of every other week uh, with this crew, um, uh, sort of the usual show with some occasional special shows in between. So um, that's going to be my goal. As long as uh, Doug, Travis and Kim are up for it, uh, we'll keep in in heading in that direction. Um, we are now streaming on Twitch and uh, LinkedIn. Uh, so, um, we have oh. a LinkedIn page and we're on Twitch we got to figure out our Twitch strategy, but, uh, we're, we're going global, baby. We're going global. We have four fans now. Well done. <laughs> well done, Mr. Mitchell. One fan yeah. for each platform. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And, um, I'd love to go Mastodon. They don't really support it yet. I think so. No, um, uh, I am on Mastodon for people who want to look me up, but uh, we will be back, I think, in two weeks. And uh, until then, I hope everyone has a wonderful time. Uh, but this has been a fun episode. Uh, thanks to special guests Dane Jasper and Roger Timmerman, as well as minor contributions from Doug, Travis, Kim, and myself. Um, <laughs> this has been a fun episode of Connect This. Connect This.